Well, this morning we're going to talk about spit mud. Told you last week it was on your outline in the bulletin, and I uh, said we're going to maybe come back to that. And I, I, I think I do want to offer some thoughts as I've um, reflected on it. I thought this is perhaps a sermon in its own. You, t- you can tell me when I'm done whether I've really stretched my point or not. But uh, before we dive into that, I did want to make one quick correction before we read the scripture from last week. As we were going out, someone reminded me I had talked about Jesus confronting some of the traditions of the Pharisees as they were found in the, and I was saying Torah, which uh, many of you probably knew and went ahead and changed it, was not the Torah, but the Talmud. The Torah is the Bible. The Torah is, for the Jews, it's the first five books of Moses is the law, uh, and sometimes it's applied to all all of the Old Testament is the law of God, the, the Torah but particularly the first five. Anyway, I meant Talmud, um, which is the oral traditions and explanations and interpretations of Jewish leadership on the Torah and on the Scripture. So uh, anyway, and if you're listening to the series online, anybody who's listening from serially, then uh, there's that correction. All right, we are in John chapter 9. I am returning to the first seven verses in the account of Jesus' healing of this blind man. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, hear then the word of God. As he passed by, he, Jesus, saw a blind man from birth, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We discussed that two or three weeks ago. And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back. See, pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we see a work of power. We see the healing that is in Jesus' hands, the grace that is in his heart, the power that is yours to work in our lives. In so many ways, we long to see your work. We long to see your healing. We long to see your grace poured out on us. Father, this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to your gracious work in so many ways in our lives, in the mud and in the dirt of our lives. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is passing by. He sees a blind man. He takes notice of this guy. And so he moves toward him. He has compassion upon him. I think it's actually as Jesus, as he walks by and sees this man, takes notice of this man, that actually draws forth the question from his disciples and those who are following him. The deep theological question about sin and who sinned that this man is born blind and how are we to understand suffering in this world? Now Jesus, we see, is the one who takes notice of this guy. It's not always that way. It's very often, as you read through the Gospels, we'll see that there are a lot of people who get Jesus' attention. There are a lot of people who want healing and so they come to Jesus or they reach out to Jesus or they call out to Jesus or they send someone to Jesus. 
Sometimes friends and family will bring them and actually carry them to Jesus. Sometimes someone will come on their behalf. But we discover in this situation, Jesus takes notice of the blind man. Jesus takes initiative and he says that the reason that he does so in answer to his disciples' question is it so that the work of God can be displayed in this man's life, so that the work of God can be manifest right here, right now, in a display of His glory, in a display of His power. Now it's interesting, in verses 6 and 7, the healing is described. Having said all these things, He spat on the ground, He made mud with the saliva, and He anoints the man's anoint is a nice word. You know, when you're working with spit mud, right? Spit and dirt pasted on a man's face. It is this spit mud-making healing that we talked about last week is what confronts or or precipitates a confrontation with the Pharisees. I believe that's one reason that he does it, and we talked about that. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew it would be a problem. But as I was thinking about it, I actually, as I said, had it as a separate point in the sermon last week and pulled it out and I said, there there are more thoughts. I think there's more to be said here. I think it's more than that. I don't think Jesus wastes anything and he he is at work in this man's life in a way that I think we should take note. And Jesus would point out as last time, he's not just anti-tradition. Jesus is willing to observe many of them and he does observe tradition. He's not anti-tradition. He just... When the traditions of men become obstacles to the gospel, when they become obstacles to the kingdom, when they become obstacles in in the lives of people, keep them from experiencing Christ's power and Christ's work, then Jesus has no patience with them. Sometimes you need new wine to go into new wine skins. New structures that can, can handle and serve the wine that's being poured out. So Jesus' method of confrontation as he's confronting these things in, in the religious life of the church as he finds it, he uses a unique method of spit and mud. It's a pretty unique style of mud. I mean, I was thinking about this. I was uh, all boy. <laughs> Growing up in the 60s and the 70s is my childhood. Uh, you know, I, I, we just went down, we'd have some interesting conversations about things that I did as a boy. Growing up in those days and the freedom, we were having this discussion about how much freedom kids used to have versus now. And they had talked about the range. And when I was growing up, the kids' range was like five miles. You know, and now it's like 100 yards. Um, and, and it truly was. We ranged. And, and anyway, we did everything, and we had mud ball fights, and we did a lot of things with mud, but I don't ever remember making mud out of spit. I, I honestly can't remember. That's just one thing. It's pretty different. It's, it's unique. It's not, it seems different than regular mud. And even if there's a cultural precedence, and I think there may be some cultural precedence for using saliva in unique ways, it's still a unique way for Jesus to choose to accomplish his purpose here. Partly because he doesn't need it, right? Jesus doesn't need the mud. He's able to heal however he wants to heal. He absolutely didn't need this mud. And he doesn't choose mud every time he heals. In fact, he he actually uses some form of it a couple of few times that we read about in the various Gospels. But very rarely 
Jesus actually exhibited great variety in the way that he healed. He often just healed with a word. Told one man, just stretch out your hand. Get up. Told some lepers, be clean. Go your way. Sometimes a person who is healed was not even present. He told one father who came seeking on behalf of his son, go. Your son will live. Just in a word, the kid wasn't even there. There were, there were times he told some lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests. There was a, times that he would touch them. There were two blind beggars, if you remember the story, that were standing on the side of the road and they heard that Jesus was coming and they called out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they kept calling it out to such that the disciples actually tried to shush him. And Jesus has mercy on them and he goes over and it says he touched their eyes. And they were healed. There's one woman who simply reached out and touched his clothes. He, he didn't even reach out to her. He, she reached out and touched his hem of his garden and she, garment and she's healed. There's a time she, he took the hand of a, of a dead girl and spoke to her and she rose. What I want us to see is how uniquely Jesus works in every person's life. He rarely did it the same way twice. I'm not saying there's no overlap or no, but, he, but he, you see there's great variety in the way that Jesus works in people's lives. There's no magic formula. There's no set re- ritual. Right? When Jesus comes to our lives, and this is, I think, what stands in my mind behind this, just as he did in all of these different people at this time and in this place, still for us, when Jesus comes to our lives, there are ways that he comes that are unique to you. He doesn't do it the same in everyone's life. If we went around this room and talked about the different ways that Jesus has met you in your life and worked for your growth and sanctification and your healing and your maturity, you're moving on. If we went around, we would be, I think, staggered by the variety of things that we would point to. And the ways that God used them, that Jesus used them in our lives in unique ways. And so we really shouldn't, I think we really shouldn't crane our necks to see what Jesus is doing in somebody else's life. Which is often what we do in terms of comparing and contrasting, particularly with the social media that now is available to us and we have greater windows into people's lives and their joys and triumphs, which are mostly what goes on. Well, actually you get a whole variety of stuff out there, but if we're pining after what Jesus is doing in somebody else's life, there's a very good chance that we will miss what God is doing in our life. Right? If I'm looking to see how he's doing it over here, and over there, and in this person's life, and I read of the account of, of what God is doing in their life, and, and I read these things, and I can, I can be tempted to be jealous or to in some way want what God is doing in somebody else's life. But I think that there's a danger there because no one else is going to meet Jesus in the same way that you do. You're tempted to think no one else has my problem. No one else has got mud on their face. You know, you can think of this guy. I don't know how this guy felt. If he knew about Jesus' other healings or later on felt learned about all the different ways that Jesus touched and healed people. He's like, no one else had to get mud on their face. 
You know, no one else got spit mud on their face. You know, why do I have to have spit mud on my face to get healed? Why is this, why is this the way it's happening in my life? Why isn't, you know, which is where we can get sometimes. And why does it have to happen for me this way? And I'm looking at someone else's life, and it seems to be going, it seems to be going so differently in their life, the way God is doing it over there. First of all, it's probably not true that Jesus does. There's no temptation that has seized you except what is common to man. But more importantly is this, so what? Jesus doesn't do cookie-cutter healing. Jesus doesn't do cookie-cutter sanctification and the molding and the shaping of the souls and the lives of his people. You know, he doesn't, there's no ritual, there's no formula, there's no one way. As diverse as life is, as diverse as we are, you know, that is their story. And this is my story. Jesus visiting my life. And so if we're busy craning our necks, scouring Facebook for what, what's going on over here and over here and over here. And I was watching something on the news the other day, and they say there's a new f- form of depression, and it's, a, it's, and it's like re- directly related to Facebook. Because you see, you know, so-and-so is climbing the Alps over here and so-and-so, you know, is all this stuff with their kids and all this stuff. And they went here on their vacation and here are all the photos. And, you know, they did this and they did that. And you can walk away and be like, sure isn't the same way in my life. You know, I don't. We're watching and jealous about what God is doing in other people's lives. We will miss the fact that he is in your life. That he is working on you. That he is meeting you in unique ways in your dirt and mud and in the midst of your earthy existence. And it's tailor-made for you. You know, we use that term. I was thinking about this. This healing was tailor-made for this guy, the mud spit. You know, that's the way Jesus is going to do it for him. It was tailor-made. You know, tailor-made means a, tailor, a tailor-made something is when they actually measure you you know, and size you up for exactly what would fit you and look good on you. Watch and pray in your own life. Look expectantly for God's work, for His healing, for His deliverance. Right? There is, in fact, power in His hand. There is, in fact, grace in His heart. There is, in fact, purpose in all of these things. And I would say, look for His coming in your life in unique and surprising ways. Jesus also is getting His hands dirty here. We need to pay attention for the way that Jesus does things. You know, this is just another thought as I had as I was thinking about this, and Jesus getting His hands dirty to heal this guy, and and the way that He works and He does powerful things, because Jesus' power is usually veiled in various ways. He uses ordinary material means to do a lot of things, extraordinary things in people's lives. I think this is part of the message of the sacraments when we celebrate the sacraments together in church, whether it's a baptism or the Lord's Supper. The God, God has given us ordinary means. He's given us water. Right? He's given us bread and wine or the fruit of the vine. 
He's given us ordinary elements, but we understand that we are told that these are just signs, that they are, they are humble and ordinary things that, that God has said, I'm going to work through them in powerful ways in the lives of my people. When, when, when my people come in faith, I have said, I will meet you here. I will use these things to strengthen your faith and to deepen your sense of forgiveness and mercy and your grace in your life. I will use these things to renew and to awaken you. He says, I'll meet you at the table and I will work in your life in unique ways. Not because there's power in the bread, not because there's power in the fruit of the vine, just like there was no power in the mud. There was no power in the mud. Jesus chose to heal and to use the down and dirty to do it, to use the ordinary and the humble to do it. I think the same is true of the gospel and faith. Sometimes the world, and there are those who scoff at them, they're too simple, the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The old, old story of Jesus and his cross, bearing our sin in his own body on the cross and saving us. And the simple faith that in response to him, there, there are some ways people scoff at him and says, I've got to do more. There has to be more to it. There must be more required. This is too simple, too humble. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us it pleased God that through the folly of what, was, of what we preach, that he would save those who believe. Right? It is through the folly of what we preach that He will save those. The folly of spit mud that He will heal the eyes of the blind. It's through the folly of bread and wine that He will meet us and restore and renew our souls. It's through the folly of the preached word about Christ that He will do the most unimaginable saving work that the world has ever seen in the souls of men. The simplicity of prayer. You have not because you ask not. God chooses to work through ordinary, humble means to accomplish His purposes and His power in and through our lives. You know, and these are some of the appointed means that we just talked about, the bread and the wine and the baptism and prayer and the gospel. God has appointed these means. And we know He will meet us there. He said, I'll meet you There, I will meet you in these ways and in these places. And he invites us to practice them, to find him and his power at work in the midst of them. In Isaiah 45, 15, we read, Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. It's a God who hides himself. What does it mean? It means he's a God who isn't always out there in raw displays of power and, and um, glory, but a God who, who hides himself under humble means and works his purposes in our lives in ways that are often surprising. The healing and sanctifying work of God is not confined to any set of means. We're told in the in the scripture, you know, even though we know these are appointed means and the places where he says that he will work and he will meet us, he also says that he works all things for the good of his people. 
There is a very real sense in which God is working in and through all things for our sanctification and our growth in grace. In other words, God's works are veiled in the mud of life. Isn't that when he says, I'll work through all things together for the good of him? Another appointed means of his grace and his sanctifying, changing work in us is all things. I'm going to veil my power. I'm the God who hides myself in the mundane stuff of your life. When in every day you've got to make some very basic choices and you've got to deal with some very basic issues and, and there's mud and there's dirt. It's very earthy. Like normal life, everyday life is a little bit like the dirt on the ground. It's just, it's just ordinary and mundane. And he says, I will work in the course of all of this. I mean, I think it's interesting because he clearly tells his disciples in verse 3 that it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but here is a situation that exists for the express purpose of the display of the glory and the power of Christ in this man's life. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to say that then, so I'm here to do these works, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So coming off, I'm... Here is a chance for the display of God's glory, and I am the light of the world. Well, I'm in the world, all this lofty stuff, and what's the exact next thing Jesus does? He spits. And he starts playing in the dirt. And he starts wiping it on the guy's face. You know, for me, there's just something incongruous about the whole thing. You know, I'm here to do the works of God. I'm not going to do it, but I'm... Then you make the sound of spitting, right? And it won't go on tape. The grace and the power of Jesus, the very works of God, he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. The light of the world is going to shine in its power, and you're going to see it. And then he does something so... And you have to see underneath. It's this. It's in the mud of your life very often that you will see the fingerprints of God. Right? It's, it's in the mud of your life. When he says, I'm going to do the works, when he says the same thing, say he pronounced it over your life. Right? The, this has happened so that the work of God will be displayed. And he says, and I'm the light of the world. I'm going to shine into your life. Here's what it looks like. And, and what you see is mud. But it has his fingerprint on it. Mud is the way he chose to work. It's often in the mud of your life that you'll see his fingerprints and you'll feel his touch. That the progress of spiritual growth and the advancement of God's purposes often involve at this point what I'm metaphorical mud. And you can think. Think of what is in your life in the raising of children, in the making of a lifelong marriage and a relationship where you're sanctifying each other, right? And workplace and church where we rub shoulders and iron sharpens iron and sparks fly and do we know that his hand is in all that that is tailor made for the shaping of us in the image of his son we see it in the life of Joseph I mean I think you know these are the things we know as God uses suffering into every life a little rain must come if there's going to be a spring and a, and a blooming, and you see in Joseph's life, 
And he's smeared with mud. He's literally thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. There's the mud of slander as he's falsely accused. He's imprisoned. And, and there's literally the mud and the slime of the Egyptian prison. There's all this that goes on in his life. And all the while, God is shaping him. All the while, God is preparing him. All the while, he is preparing a, an unimaginable salvation for his people and the nation of Israel in raising Joseph to power at some point. But... There's a lot of mud. There's a lot of just stuff. Most of us would find healing through spit mud kind of gross, unpleasant, undesirable. I always wonder, I read stories like this, and it's a lot of what is unsaid that I think about. You know, because I'll hear the story and I wonder, did Jesus make a spit noise when he spit? In other words, did the guy hear him spit? Did the guy know that he had spit and was making spit mud? And that what was being wiped on his face was this mud that Jesus had just made out of it. I would just wonder sometimes, did the guy know? And would the guy, how would the guy have responded? And, you know, would he have recoiled from the idea? Is this something he would have embraced? You know, yeah, slime me up, you know, bring it. You know, for a lot of us, it's a little gross, gross and unpleasant. We don't, we, we wouldn't necessarily, it's undesirable. We wouldn't necessarily think, yeah, bring on the spit mud. You know, most of us are, are not into to it. We don't, we don't fully get maybe necessarily what's, what it's being used for. Like what's underneath it, what's in and through it is, is Jesus' fingerprint is on it. Because then you have to start asking the question, what if Jesus were the man behind the mud? Are we more open to the mud? Are we more open to having it you know, pasted onto our face? What if it were Jesus himself who crafted the mud for you? Taylor made that mud for you and for your healing. And he personally wiped it on your face. You know, it's a little bit like Peter when, you know, when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. You know, and at first he says, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Until he figures out, Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And then he's like, well, Lord, wash my feet, my head, my hands, you know, bring it. And I think, I think that attitudinal change toward that action of Jesus has everything to do with what's underneath it. If I don't do this, you'll have no part of me. If I don't do this, you will not see again. You know, or this is, this is, this is, the, the, this is what I'm doing for your healing. If he brought mud into your life to advance his purposes and to display God's work, just as he said this situation was all about displaying God's work. And then he does it in just such a dirty way, just such an earthy. I was thinking about this, and I I couldn't help think of the great hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. And I'm like, what's more mysterious than spit mud? Right To perform His ways. And God works in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up His bright designs and He works His sovereign will. You fearful saints, courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy. And I would put mud in there, right? The mud you so much dread is big with mercy. 
and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace that He is at work in all things. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His fingerprint is in the mud. His smile is behind the cloud. Finally, I had some thoughts about his telling the guy to go and wash in verse 7 because he applies the mud and it interests me again that he does this, I'm going to do the works of God and then he makes mud and he puts it on the guy's face and the guy's still not healed. And he tells the guy, go to the pool of Siloam and wash and the guy gets up, he goes to the pool of Siloam and he washes and he comes back seeing But he wasn't healed until he obeyed and did what Jesus told him to do. There is this element that Jesus required a real response from him. Jesus had given him a word. He asked him for his trust in a sense. He asked him to obey and to do what he was asking him to do. And it wasn't, again, the washing that healed him. The mud didn't heal him. Going and washing, it wasn't that he went and washed in the pool of Siloam, had magical powers like the fountain of youth. And, right? Jesus healed him. But in the course of this, he does it in a very muddy, down-to-earth way, and he calls for obedience and trust on the part of the man. The healing that we often long for is going to be very often experienced in the course of of our obedience. As we hear His Word, as we follow and we keep His Word, and we walk on the path that He calls it out, and as as we walk in obedience, we hear, and He says, John chapter 5, verse 8, He tells the guy, get up, take your bed, and walk. And until the guy gets up and takes his bed, he doesn't walk. He tells another guy in Luke 6.10, stretch out your hand. And it's as the guy obeys that his hand is healed. And not before. Trust me. Obey me. Believe me. Abide in my words. Obey them. Walk in them. And grace will flow. Healing will come. We can't always see how the healing is going to come. We can't always see how God is going to work. We don't understand his methods. God works in mysterious, sometimes very bizarre ways. He meets you in the, in the most surprising places in the course of your ordinary life. Sometimes we'll have mud on our face and in the midst of circumstances we don't fully understand. But as we listen and as we obey and we abide in his word and we walk with him and we trust him and obey him and we serve him, grace flows. Healing comes. We can't heal ourselves. There's no deliverance by our own power. And so the question this morning is, will you trust and hope in Jesus? Will you believe that whatever your current mud is, whatever is the earthy, raw rub of your life, do you trust in Jesus? Do you hope in Christ? Will you obey Him? Will you follow Him? 
John chapter 8, just the last chapter before this one, toward the end, he says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Will you walk in obedience when you can't understand how the mud fits in? And still believe that it is my fingerprint that is upon it, and that it's your healing that is within it? He says in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you will ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus has power in his hand. He has grace in his heart. He has purpose in all of these things. His power is veiled under humble, hidden, earthy means. But he calls us to place ourselves in the path of faith and obedience. Abide in Christ. Abide in His words. Raise up your hearts in faith and expectation. Seek to walk in His ways. To follow Him. And He will deliver you. He will heal you. He will sanctify you. He will make you like Himself. He will work down into the fibers of your being. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Where? See, we want it to happen up here and over in some... It's not on the mountaintop. It's when you go home today in faith and obedience in the mud, you'll be more like Jesus. He will use the mud of our lives to open up our eyes to His grace. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we often fail to see your fingerprint in the mud. All we see is mud. All we see is spit. All we understand is that things are dirty and messy. And we often don't understand that you are seeking to open our eyes, bring healing and grace flowing into our lives, to do that work which only you can do by that power that is in your hand. Oh, Father, let us see the grace that is in your heart as you tailor make our mud that we might be healed, that we might be like Christ. Oh, Father, would you open us up to this gracious, everyday, messy work that is discipleship, following Jesus and being more like him. We ask it and we pray it in his strong name. Amen.